0: Have you, ever, have you ever seen that before? you ever seen that in person before? Show Michael and I were able to see that in person last year, but we actually should have saw it in person two years ago. We actually should have saw it in person back in 2020. Back in 2020, my family and I, for well, the first time, took a trip through Utah and, and Idaho and Yellowstone and South Dakota. You know why we went to South Dakota? Well, the reason why we went to South Dakota was primarily to see that right there. We went to South Dakota to, to see Mount Rushmore. And so after worshiping with a group of Christians on what happened to be a nice sunny day by the time we got to the Black Hills, of South Dakota, all of a sudden it was raining, and it was cloudy, and it was foggy, and it was cold. It was so cloudy that by the time we got there, we didn't get to see anything. We didn't get to see Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, or Lincoln. And so after we went back to our hotel and rested for a little bit that evening, we decided to give another shot. We got in our car and we drove about an hour back to Mount Rushmore, hoping to to see it that time. But once again, it was covered by clouds. And so the next morning, we drove back again about an hour, hoping that maybe a third time is a charm. But once again, guess what? It was covered by clouds. By then, Sean Jeffries had had enough. Janice had had enough. Shawn Michael had enough. And Faith especially had had enough. My rush Rushmore may have been great, but it wasn't worth a fourth trip on our vacation. We had already wasted enough time trying to see a bunch of dead presidents. We had wasted a bunch of time. And let me just ask you, have you ever done that before? You ever wasted time before? You ever found yourself putting a lot of energy into something and a lot of effort into something and even a lot of resources into something only to be disappointed with the end result. For example, have you ever done that before when it came to watching a movie? You ever spent about two or three hours watching a movie, and then at the end of that movie, you said to yourself, you know what, that was a waste of time. The acting was terrible. The movie wasn't really that good. I can't tell you how many times I've felt that way watching Star Wars movies. What about about standing in line to ride a roller coaster? You ever stood in line on a hot summer day for a couple of hours waiting to ride a roller coaster, and by the time you got off that ride, you said to yourself, you know what, that was a waste of time. That ride wasn't that exciting, and it was way too short. What about eating at a restaurant? You ever waited a couple of hours to get a table at a restaurant, and then after you ate the food, and you went and went and got into your car, you said to yourself, you know what? That was a waste of time. The food wasn't really that good, and the service was terrible. What about What about Christianity? What about serving Jesus the Christ? What about the stuff we've been doing for the last couple of hours? The Bible studies, the prayers, the giving of our money, taking the Lord's Supper, singing all these songs. How do you know, how do you know that you haven't been wasting your time doing all that stuff? How do you know that serving Jesus Christ is not a waste? of your time i think that that is a question that is worthy of our consideration this morning i mean living in a world where there's so many different religions and so many different creeds and so many different beliefs we need to make sure that we're not wasting our time being christians we need to make sure that the leader of our faith Jesus of Nazareth is not a phony and a fraud and a fake. We need to make sure that he is who he claimed to be and the Bible is the word of God and heaven is real and hell is real and the judgment day is real. And when we repented and got baptized for the remission of our sins, we really got that. We really got remission of sins. We got to make sure that all the stuff we're doing as Christians is not a waste of time. The question is, how do we do that? How do we confirm that? What evidence do we have that confirms that living a life devoted to Jesus Christ won't just make us better people or good model citizens, but it is in fact the truth. It is in fact something that if we do it, we will go to heaven to be with God. Well, according to what the Apostle Paul told us, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, back to where our scripture reading came from this morning, Paul says that the key piece of evidence God has given us that confirms that being a Christian is not a waste of time is that right there. It is the empty tomb. It is the empty tomb of Jesus. It is the fact that Jesus. Didn't just die. And he wasn't just buried, but he was also resurrected. He was also raised up on the third day and he was seen all over the place. He was seen by hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. In fact, the facts we have concerning these eyewitnesses are especially convincing proofs that the resurrection really took place. Take for example the the first people to see him raised from the dead the women the women disciples Will you go in your bible please to luke the 24th chapter we're reading through the book of luke right now and i hope you've been doing that if you have not been keeping up with this immersion bible reading if you have not been really immersing yourself Into the reading of the Gospel of Luke, I want you to know you're really missing out on something. Luke is such a wonderful Gospel. Eventually, later this year, we're going to get to Luke 24, but let's go ahead and get a taste of that right now. In Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning with verse number one, the Bible says, but on the first day of the week, that's Sunday. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they, and the they there is a reference to women, the women disciples. They came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, these are two angels, suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, they, they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles, but these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Now, I want you to ponder on these verses for just a moment or two. I want to suggest that if this story... If the resurrection story of Jesus Christ was made up, if it was a fabrication, you would not find these verses in your Bible. You would not find these verses in the gospel of Luke. These verses would not be here if this was a made up story because these are the wrong people. These are the wrong people. Jesus appeared to the wrong people first after being raised from the dead. Someone says, well, why are these the wrong people for him first to appear to? Well, I'll tell you why these are the wrong people for him to first appear to if you promise not to stone me. The reason why these are the wrong people is because contrary to how the righteous men of God in this room view women today, And contrary to how Jesus views women and contrary to how God views women at this time in this culture and this society, women were not valued. Women were not given a whole lot of respect. Women were not viewed as credible witnesses. In fact, they couldn't even testify in a court of law. Josephus actually mentions this in his writings. Many of you are familiar with the writings of Josephus, a very famous first century Jewish historian. and his historical writings, Josephus wrote, quote, "...women are not acceptable witnesses." Luke seems to back that up pretty good here in verse 11, when he says that after these women came to the apostles telling them about what they saw, these words appeared to them as Nonsense. And they would not believe them. Question, why in the world would Luke put this in his gospel? Why in the world would he and Matthew and Mark and John record Jesus first appearing to some people who could not even testify in a court of law? Why would he say That Jesus first appeared to some women, especially if they were just making this story up to convince people to believe something that wasn't true. I mean, if they were just making this story up, wouldn't it be more dramatic for Jesus to first appear to the Sanhedrin? Wouldn't it be more dramatic for Jesus to first appear to Caiaphas? or the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, and to tell them, ha, I got you. You were wrong. You were wrong the whole time. I am the Son of God. I am the Lord. I'm the Christ. You killed the Christ, and now you're going to get it. Wouldn't it be more dramatic to have Jesus first appearing to the enemies of the cross? Or what about first appearing to Pontius Pilate? Or maybe the Caesar? Or maybe even these 11 men who devoted about three years of their lives to following him every single day? I mean, if the gospel is made up, why doesn't Jesus appear to those guys first? Why does he first appear to the very last people that people at this time would believe? Well, I submitted the reason why. The gospel says Jesus first appeared to women. It's because that's exactly what happened. Jesus first appeared to women on that Sunday morning, but he didn't just appear to women. Later, he would appear to his apostles. He he appeared to the apostles. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number five. It's interesting what Mark tells us about this in Mark, the 16th chapter and in verse number 14, it says afterward, he, Jesus, appeared to the 11 themselves. This is the 11 apostles as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those talking about the women here who had seen him after he had risen. I want to put that with what John tells us in his gospel. John was one of the apostles. He was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. And he's going to tell us some firsthand information here in John, the 20th chapter. Please go in your Bible to John 20 and look at verse number 19. In John 20, and verse 19, we find some interesting information here. It says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, Where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven you. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now I think there are a couple of very couple of very important observations that we need to make from this particular text. First, I want you to notice how after Jesus died on the cross, after he was executed and after he was buried in a tomb, the apostles, the apostles were not anticipating a resurrection. Do you see that? They were not anticipating seeing a risen Jesus. They were not anticipating seeing him victorious over death. In addition to not believing the testimony of the women, John tells us that after Jesus died, the apostles went into hiding. The apostles locked themselves in a room in fear of the Jews. They thought that the cause of Jesus Christ was over. And again, we got to ask ourselves a question. The question is, why is that information there? Why is that there? Why is John put this in his gospel? Why would he put this here, especially if this whole resurrection story is made up? I mean, if he's just making up this resurrection story, why in the world does he make himself? And the other people who were close with Jesus look so bad. Why does he give us these embarrassing details about themselves? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense for John to have written, well, you know what? Jesus was raised from the dead and we didn't doubt it for a second. We knew he was going to be raised from the dead. We believed in his promise. In fact, we were the first ones there on the first day of the week. That is exactly what I would have written if I was making this up. If I was making this whole resurrection story up, I would not have written a document. Telling thousands and thousands of people, embarrassing details about myself. I I would not be telling people that when my spiritual leader, this guy devoted myself to for three years when he died, well, you know what I did, I, I started running. I started hiding. I locked myself away in a room because I was afraid of the Jews. I refused to believe in a possibility that he was going to be raised from the dead. I would not write embarrassing things about myself if I'm just making this thing up. And yet I submit that the reason why John and the other gospel writers do not shy away from telling us these embarrassing details it's because that's exactly what happened. They did this stuff. The apostle Peter, for example, in addition, now think about this, in addition to abandoning Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in addition to denying Jesus in the courtyard of Caiaphas, Not one time, not two times, but three times in addition to refusing to believe the women. When they said we saw him raised, he kept his promise in addition to doing that embarrassing stuff. You know what else he did? He was hiding. Peter was running. Peter was afraid for his life. He was tucked away in a locked Room. He was scared to death after Jesus died, and yet, what do we find him doing in Acts chapter 2? Well, now all of a sudden, just a few weeks later, in Acts chapter 2, he's in Jerusalem of all places, in front of a crowd of hostile Jews, Thousands of hostile Jews, many personally responsible for the death of Jesus. And he preaches the gospel and he tells them that Jesus, is the Lord and the Christ, and they were the ones who killed him. What in the world happened to Peter? How in the world did he transform into that? How in the world is he transformed from being a coward who denied Jesus to a servant girl to someone who only about a month later told thousands and thousands of Jews that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ? How in the world is he transformed from somebody? who abandoned Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and refused to believe the testimony of those who said they saw him raised to someone. The book of Acts tells us was beaten and mocked and arrested for the cause of the gospel. I submit that the only reasonable, the only reasonable way to explain this powerful transformation in Peter's life is the resurrection. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ It is the fact that he personally saw Jesus raised. He saw him die. He saw him alive three days later. And he knew that if he died, testifying of that to the world, he wouldn't be dying for something that he knew was a lie. Jesus appeared to women. And he appeared to people like Peter and the other apostles. But then Paul also singles out James. Did you notice that? Going back to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and it's easy to kind of miss this. After telling us that Jesus appeared to Peter, there was a time when Jesus just appeared to Peter by himself, Paul says in verse 5. And then he appeared to all the apostles, and then there was a time when he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. That is more than double the number of folks in this room right now to give you some perspective of that after telling us about that in verse number seven, it says, then he appeared to James. He appeared to James. Now, who is James here? Well, this James that is mentioned here is not James, the, uh, the apostle. OK. Th- th- this is not the James who was the brother of the Apostle John, or James, the the, the less. No, this James here is the James who was the brother of Jesus. This is the James who was one of the sons born to Mary and Joseph. In Mark chapter 6 and verse number 3, when people are trying to figure out who Jesus is, the Bible says that they said, is this not is this not the carpenter, the son of, of Mary, and the brother of, of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, Are not his sisters? Notice Jesus has sisters, too, and they took offense at him. Notice how Jesus here has some siblings, and among his siblings was a man named James. That's the James. That's the James that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. History tells us that this James, this James right here, was a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. He he was someone who wasn't just a brother of Jesus, but he also contributed to a book you you have in your Bible. He wrote the book of James. He also most likely was murdered for the cause of the gospel. His inclusion here in the list of people of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is extremely powerful because we got to understand that unlike the apostles, unlike Peter and and James and John and, and even Mary Magdalene, James, the brother of Jesus, he did not believe in Jesus during his three-year ministry. He didn't believe in him at all. Go in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter three and Mark the third chapter and in verse number 21. In Mark the third chapter and in verse number 21, the Bible says that when his own people, notice that language, his own people, when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying he has lost his senses. Jesus is crazy. This guy is nuts. His own people, here's a reference to his family. It is refer- is a reference to his siblings, it's a reference to people like James. He didn't believe in Jesus. He thought Jesus was crazy. Now go in your Bible to John chapter 7 because John's going to back that up. In John the 7th chapter, and we're going to look at verse number 3. In John the 7th chapter, and in verse number 3. The Bible says this. As Jesus is trying to avoid going to Jerusalem because it's very hostile for him in Jerusalem at this point. It says, therefore, his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you're doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. They're mocking Jesus here. Verse 5 says, for not not even his brothers. Not even his brothers were believing in him. His brothers did not believe in him. His brothers there includes James. James did not believe in Jesus during his three-year ministry. And yet what do we find when we go to the book of James? Look at James chapter 1. We go to James chapter 1. And this is James, the brother of Jesus. In verse number 1, he begins the book with these words. In James 1 and verse 1 he says James a what a bond servant a bond servant or slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ notice how James begins this book notice how James does not begin this book by referring to himself as the brother of Jesus Notice how James does not begin this book by throwing out the brother of Jesus card. He doesn't say, hey, I'm the brother of Jesus. Hey, I'm that guy who was raised with Jesus. No, James doesn't begin the book in that way. Instead, he begins this book by referring to himself as a bondservant of Jesus. He says, I'm a slave of Jesus. What in the world happened to him? What in the world caused him? To experience this dramatic shift, what caused him to go from mocking Jesus and doubting Jesus and calling Jesus crazy to referring to himself as a bond servant of Jesus and even being willing to suffer for the cause of Jesus. I submit that the only reasonable explanation for this kind of transformation in James is the resurrection. It is the fact that James really did see Jesus raised from the dead. And that convinced him that he had been wrong for all those years. And his brother really is the son of God. Jesus appeared to James. But probably the most powerful and convincing witness we have to the resurrection is the apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and in verse number 8, Paul says, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Why should we believe that? Why should we believe that Paul saw Jesus raised from the dead? I mean, anybody can say that. I can say that this morning. Why should we believe that Paul really saw a risen Jesus? Well, probably the best way. To find an answer to this question is to just take a moment or two to consider what history tells us about Paul. Remember before he became before he became the great apostle Paul that we love and respect so much today, before he became that guy, he was first who? Well, he was first Saul. He was first Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus came from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. Saul of Tarsus was a very zealous Jew. He was a very zealous promoter, not of Christianity, but of Judaism. He zealously promoted Judaism. In fact, according to Acts chapter seven, when a Christian named Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin council and sentenced to die because he was a follower of Jesus. You know what Saul did? Saul was in hearty agreement to that. Saul cheered that on. Saul took pleasure in seeing a Christian be stoned to death. In fact, it is that particular moment, Stephen's death, that motivated Saul to begin trying to destroy the church. He wanted to punish as many Christians as he could. He went from house to house, ravaging the church. Dragging men and women who were Christians out of their homes and throwing them in jail. That's what the Bible tells us in Acts 8 and verse 3. Saul was not a friend of Christianity. Saul was not a promoter of the gospel. In the early days of the church, Saul was not viewing Christianity as just another world religion that needs to be left alone. Instead, Saul viewed Christianity as a threat. He viewed it as a threat to Judaism. He wanted to wipe it off of the face of the planet. And yet half of the New Testament. Will later be written by Saul. Many of the local churches that we can read about in the Bible and that were around the Roman Empire, they would be planted by Saul, the Jews who at one time praised him and gave him approval for being hostile towards Christians. They would later become his greatest enemies. They would harass him. They would curse him. They would falsely accuse him. They would beat him, stone him, mock him, lock him up in prison, even try to assassinate him. He talks about that in great detail in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, verse 23, he says that when he came to his critics, and he had a lot of them, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. And far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Why in the world would anybody willingly go through that kind of stuff? Why in the world would anybody willingly endure the kind of stuff that Saul says he endured? Was it for money? Did Paul do all this for money? Did he promote the gospel for money? I mean, did Paul get rich as a preacher? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is no evidence that Paul became rich preaching the gospel. In fact, there was a time, if you remember, when Paul had to had to be a tent maker just so he could support himself in the preaching of the gospel. Someone else says, well, maybe he did it to be famous. Maybe he did it to achieve great fame and popularity. Well, that sounds nice. And while we might view Paul today as famous and very respected, we got to understand that in his time, he wasn't famous. He was infamous. He was despised. He was hated by the vast majority of people in his society. He did not have many friends at all. He didn't do this to get fame. But somebody else says, oh, well, maybe he did it for position. That's what it was. He did it for power. He did it to get authority. Well, again, that sounds nice, but where's your evidence? Where's your evidence? Well, where's your evidence that Paul gained a lot of power by being a Christian? In fact, according to the evidence, Paul received intense levels of persecution, both from the Jews and the Romans and he would eventually be executed by the government because of his faith. You see, there's only one reasonable explanation to explain these radical changes that occurred in Saul's life, who will later be known as Paul, and that is, that's the Resurrection that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's the fact that that he's telling the truth he really did see a risen Jesus and that took his zeal away from promoting Judaism to now promoting the gospel what I just want you to see is one of the key pieces of evidence that we have been given to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Is found in the witnesses, the witnesses of the resurrection. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he was appearing to all kinds of people. He was appearing to men. He was appearing to women. He was appearing to friends. He was appearing to people who opposed him and opposed his gospel. Jesus appeared to all kinds of different people after being raised from the dead. And that should impact us. That should impact us in a very powerful way. That should impact our faith. That should give us the confidence we need to understand that we are not wasting our time being Christians. We're not wasting our time serving Jesus. We're not wasting our time believing in Jesus. We're not wasting our time gathered together for three hours a day singing songs and praying and taking the Lord's Supper and studying the Bible and even giving our hard-earned money in a collection plate. We're not wasting our time when we sit down with people and teach them the gospel. We're not wasting our time when we raise our children and our grandchildren to believe the gospel. We're not wasting our time serving in the church. We're not wasting our time doing daily Bible reading. We're not wasting our time praying. We're not even wasting our time suffering persecution because we live in a culture that is very hostile to the Christian faith. That's the point. That that really is the main point, the practical point that Paul is trying to make, back in 1 Corinthians 15. Remember, Paul makes this big case in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus was raised and he was seen all over the place, and here are the consequences if he is not raised. But since he is raised, verse 58 says, therefore, therefore. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Translation, because Jesus was raised from the dead, you're not wasting your time serving God. You're not wasting your time being a Christian. You're not wasting your time doing kingdom work. Paul gives a similar thought back in Romans chapter one and verse four. You want to know how you can be certain that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And he made a lot of claims in his ministry. When Romans 1 in verse 4, it says that Jesus was declared, declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Translation, the resurrection confirms Jesus' identity. It confirms that he is the I am. That he's the Son of God, the Lord, the Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. All the claims of Jesus in his identity are backed up by the resurrection. In fact, not only is the identity of Jesus backed up by the resurrection, but Paul has something else to say to the people in Athens. In Acts 17, in verse 30. In Acts 17, in verse 30, Paul told the people in Athens, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof, proof, evidence, having pr- furnished proof to all men by Raising him from the dead. Paul says that not only can we be certain about the identity of Jesus, but we can also be certain about what's to come after we die. We we can be certain that like the Lord was raised, we're also going to be raised one day and we're going to stand before God. We're going to give an account of ourselves to God. The resurrection and those who saw it confirm that reality as well now before we go into our invitation let me just say this so that no one gets the wrong idea i know i know that there is no mandate in the bible for a special once a year celebration of the resurrection of jesus i know that i know that according to the bible We are to celebrate and remember the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross every first day of the week when we partake of the Lord's Supper. I know that, most of you know that, but I also do believe this, that since the vast majority of people and our culture and society are thinking about the resurrection of Jesus today, it is also timely For us to think about it today also it is also timely for us to remind ourselves again of the main thing preached by the Christians in the Bible and the need we have today to follow in their footsteps you see like the Christians in the Bible we too today Most must boldly proclaim to a sin sick world that we are not wasting our time serving Jesus and they won't be wasting their time serving Jesus because he didn't just die and he wasn't just buried, but he was also raised and he was seen by many witnesses. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if someone here this morning who needs to obey that gospel for the first time, we're going to give you an opportunity to do just that. If you need need to confess your faith in Jesus, repent of your sins and obey his commandment to be buried in water and be resurrected out of that water to newness of life. We're going to invite you to come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.